If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. All right, so today we have Ashley Crew with us on Tales from the Plinth. Uh, can you say hey to the listeners? Hey, all. My name's Ashley. Thank you so much for having me here today. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, so can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm a physical therapist. I graduated from Gannon's PT program back in 2009, um, and I graduated my bachelor's from Gannon, um, and my bachelor's was a psychology major um, in 06. Um, and then right after graduate school, I moved to South Central Pennsylvania, where I am now. Um, married my high school sweetheart in the middle of grad school, which I 100% do not recommend. Um, <laughs> so that was a little crazy. Um, and have two kiddos out here. Um, and I've been employed with an outpatient orthopedic practice, though I swore I'd never do outpatient ortho. Um, but fell in love with a company uh, who has been supporting me um, and just really empowering me to kind of grow and continue to develop throughout the years. Um, so I've been here for almost 12 years now, I guess, because it's 2021. Um, and with that, um, have, you know, gotten lots of orthopedic skills, have managed um, clinics, and then I've started pelvic health programs in a variety of clinics for this company. Um, now I'm writing CEU courses about pelvic health and mentoring other clinicians, as well as treating patients and just doing a little bit of everything. Um, but live here in South Central Pennsylvania and love it here. And yeah, I'm trying to think I have a dog and a cat and I like to garden, kick around a soccer ball with my kids, which I'm not good at, but uh, <laughs> I like to think I'm, I'm keeping my own. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's really awesome. Um, so what kind of brought you into the physical therapy field? What sparked your interest there? So it sounds um, weird now, but when I was back in fifth grade, um, my mom was getting headaches a lot and I'm a helper by nature. Um, I always have been. And so little, I don't know, 11 year old Ashley, 12 year old Ashley was like, mom, I'll just rub your neck for you. Um, and you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I was like a preteen. Um, but I would just kept finding like, you know, some, what I now know are like some areas of muscle tension in her neck and shoulders and things. And my mom said, man, Ashley, you're really good with your hands. You should be a massage therapist. Um, and then my parents were very supportive always and kind of said like, okay, if you think you want to do that, go learn about it, go read books about it. This was before Google was a thing. Cause that's how old I am. Um, <laughs> so it was like, look this up in an encyclopedia. <laughs> um, but I always knew, um, I was kind of an anatomy nerd and like science junkie. Um, and so massage therapy didn't seem enough like medical for me. Um, but in my research about it kind of led me to physical therapy and I was like, Ooh, this, this seems like a thing that might fit for me. Um, and then as I kind of did some job shadowing throughout high school, um, really just thought that that would be, I I mean, I want to make an impact in people's lives. I want to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, so just kind of fell in love with the profession, um, from there. And then, you know, as I have learned more about it, just continue to fall more in love with it. So 
that's that's the that's the origin story. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So, I know you said you weren't initially planning on going into outpatient ortho. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> um, so when I was in high school and I job shadowed, it was a tiny little like mom and pop PT place with like one PT and his front office slash tech person. Um, and it was a really slow pace. And again, now that I know, I mean, this was back in, gosh, 1999-ish, 2000. So this was a long time ago. Um, and I was like, oh, we're doing hot packs, like, and a couple of exercises with patients. And then he's putting a cold pack on them. Like, this is boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and like, that was my exposure to outpatient PT. Um, and so I was like, this is no thank you. Um, by the time I had started working for grad school or working for grad school, by the time I started graduate school, um, I was working in an inpatient neuro rehab hospital in Erie, um, and like teaching people to walk again and helping them like with just basic life functions. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is my jam. Like, this is, I'm going to do this. Um, and so when we, like, I don't know if Gannon still does it, but we had, we had to do an outpatient clinical appeal. Yeah. And I was straight up dreading it. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I was like, okay, Ashley, you just have to survive this clinical. Um, you just have to survive. Like, you're going to do it. And you're going to give it your all because that's that's the only way I know how to live. Um, but so I went to, you know, this very busy, what I now know was a pretty young and maybe a tinge understaffed clinic um, <laughs> that I know that the clinic director kind of said, we're too busy. I don't want a first year student. Um and thank God the clinical coordinator, Gannon, said, you know, Ashley's not your typical student. Like, she's going to come run the show for you. Um, she's used to working in busy gym environments at this hospital. Like, she's she's got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got there, it was like this hustle and bustle. It was not one patient every 45 minutes in their own private room, Like, it, which was I found boring. It was, oh, and I'm on this team with a PTA, and we're managing a couple different patients at a time, and it's hustle, bustle, and it was fun. Um, and then I really found it inspiring the way they work with patients insurance companies, again, coming from a hospital setting where your insurance is what it is. You got your allotted care and then they boot you out of the hospital. This company was very much like, okay, like if you had 20 visits and today's visit 20, but you still haven't met your goals and you need more PT, we'll work with you. We'll figure something out. Mm -hmm. And to see that kind of what I view to be kind of walk in the walk. Um, when we, you know, as PTs kind of giving care until care is no longer needed, um, that really spoke to me. So, um, yeah, so it was my very first clinical affiliation, um, and then have been with that company now ever since. So, wow, that's really cool. I yeah, know it changed my perspective. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I feel like we all come in wanting like, okay, we're all going to graduate and we're all going to go to outpatient ortho. Like everyone dreads going into inpatient acute care, home health, but feel like a lot of my class has kind of changed their tune and even like I'm probably going to go into outpatient ortho but like I don't know you know I want to keep my options open I think that's really important for students right. to remember too and I, I think too with you know like again like if we think 20 years ago the, the lines were pretty darn clear like acute mm-hmm. inpatient rehab versus outpatient looked nothing alike but now because insurances have changed so much and now that we're getting people who are probably maybe appropriate for like a skilled nursing or like a subacute rehab situation and we're seeing them in outpatient, we're seeing neurologically impaired patients as outpatients, mm-hmm. um, 
because the situation is what it is, I think the the outpatient world is really changing. Um, and that I think is kind of cool. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Um, okay. So what drew you to pelvic health then? (laughs) Yes. That is the question I get asked almost every day. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, there's a a story as always. Mm -hmm. Um, so whenever I was in graduate school, um, we sort of, um, when we had to pick out research topics, and I don't remember what year it was that we picked out a research topic, but you were going to be in a group and you're going to be with that group for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> um, and the upperclassmen said, pick your group first and then pick a weird topic that nobody else is going to pick because you have to work with this group of people until you graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found a group of three other people that I was like, I, these are three other people who are going to get it done. Um, and I'm not going to have to carry a team or, you know, we're all going to be equal players here. And then we picked a weird quote unquote, I'm using quotes, like all the listeners can see me (laughs) (laughs) Um, and picked the weird urinary incontinence study. Mm -hmm. Um, so that nobody, nobody else picked it, just the four of us. So that was easy. Um, and so it was just a kind of a qualitative research study looking at long-term success of pelvic floor muscle training for urinary incontinence. Um, spoiler alert, it works. Um, is what we found out. Um, and so when I started working for my current employer at my interview, uh, they said, you know, hey, we really love our therapists to specialize. We really promote that. We want to develop you. What do you want to specialize in? Um, I had done one of my affiliations in a pediatric center. Um, and I said, I really enjoy that. Um, I can't do it 40 hours a week because I'm I will be an alcoholic. Like I can't do that. Um, so I said, but I'm interested. Um, but I said, I'm also like, I did my research in pelvic health. Like if there's a need for that, like I'd be interested, but I don't know anything about it other than it works 10 years after you see somebody for urinary incontinence, it still works. Um, and they said, well, we don't have anybody really doing pelvic health. So if you're interested, we will do that. We will send you. Um, so went to the first three-day course that was mostly about kind of underactive weak pelvic floor muscles. So lots of things about incontinence, maybe some prolapse and things like that. Um, came back from that very naively, went to all the local doctors and kind of said, Ashley can treat pelvic health patients, like send us patients, right? And then um, the first patient who walked through my door was a woman in her 40s who hadn't had intercourse in seven years because of pelvic pain. And she had this huge psychosocial component to it because literally the last time she'd had intercourse, after her tubes were tied, she ended up with an ectopic pregnancy and had to have a hysterectomy and like blah, 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 like on and on and on it went. Mm -hmm. So now seven years later, I'm seeing her. And like, God bless, like she came in and I was like, I did her eval and I was like, oh no, you don't want me. Like I'm a baby pelvic PT and a new grad. (laughs) Like I've been to three days of pelvic health curriculum and about 45 minutes was a lecture that somewhat included a little bit about what's going on with you. So we got to find you somebody else. Um, She said, you know, well, you're it. Like you're the only one around. I have to drive an hour and a half in one direction or another before I find even another person who knows anything. So she said, if it's legal for you to treat me, I will come and see you. And I was like, okay, um, please don't sue me. Like I'm educating you <laughs> that 
I, there may be other people on this earth more appropriate to see you. Um, but I saw her and I, and I, it was good for me. I will say both as a new grad and as a new pelvic PT, because I had, like, I was so afraid of being sued <laughs> that I had to talk her through my clinical reasoning about like, okay, well, if this was your upper trap muscle, these are the concepts that I'd be applying to it and how I'd be applying them. So I'm going to use those same concepts, but apply them here, even though I don't actually know what I'm doing. But that's what I'm going to try to do. Does that sound okay to you? <laughs> just really had to talk her through my thought process. And she, God bless her, was just like, yep, mm -hmm, that sounds right. Sure. Um, so anyway, so I treated her for a little, a, a while. Um, I will say I'd probably be more efficient at it now, but that's, you know, we're all getting better. Um, and so the, that sealed the deal the day she brought in a bouquet of flowers from her husband, um, and said, these are from him. You've saved my marriage. We had sex last night. It didn't hurt at all. Um, like you've changed my life. And I tell people like, how could you not want to do that job? Like, right. it's the coolest thing in the world to be and to now be in the seat that I'm sitting in and having very similar stories happen time and time again. Um, I'm like, this is the coolest job. Um, so, um, of course, I'm biased, but um, that really fueled my passion because there was nobody who even her physician couldn't really un explain to her what was going on with her. And me with my three days of pelvic health training um, could. <laughs> Um, in a way that a physician could not. And I was like, okay, like this is, maybe I'm on this earth to do this job. So mm -hmm. um, here I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's interesting that like, yeah, I know, I'm sure pelvic health was pretty new back when you were starting, but even now it's, I feel like people aren't super aware of it. No. Um, and, and physicians aren't aware of it. Students aren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. Patients aren't aware of it. Um, it's, better than it was 12 years ago that's for sure yeah um but still I think and even what is mostly known is by physicians and like everybody else who's kind of like and who, they know anything about pelvic health they know biofeedback mm -hmm. that's all they know um and you know it makes me a little crazy because I don't actually use it all that much because the research has shown it doesn't make a ton of difference <laughs> um <laughs> So, um, but like that's, you know, any physician in the area, they're like, oh, you're going to go to pelvic PT for biofeedback. And, and then, but I still see patients. And the very first thing I ask my patients is, do you have any idea about what to expect today? Mm -hmm. And 97% of them are like, nope, no clue. So the moment I say there's could potentially be an internal component to this, I see everyone's eyes get wide and I'm like, okay, but probably not today. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, because they just, they well, doesn't my doctor do that? And uh, yeah, so it's it's so, there's so little known about it. Um, even though, you know, the the pioneers of this have been doing it for decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I don't think I, I heard about it, I think the year before I started PT school, because I ended up shadowing a women's health PT um because someone I knew was going to see her and they were like oh you shouldn't like go hang out with her and I really liked it um so like even coming into PT school most of my classmates didn't really know about it no um no yeah same I was gonna say like I remember not even really thinking like knowing anything about it until we got like a lecture in PT school and I was just like huh okay that's weird <laughs> um I think one of the things that is lovely now is that there is social media when in a way that there wasn't before and people are hearing about it more than they used to. Um, 
and now that doctors are a lot of doctors at least given some education and then like pelvic pts exist um they still have no idea generally what we do but they know we exist Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i think it's i mean we are like i said it's a lot better now than it used to be but we still have some work to do yeah (laughs) i think it's really kind of falling onto this new generation of physical therapists to really educate the public about like all that we offer um, because we are kind of stepping into more of a primary care role in the medical field and I mean kind of explaining that like you don't have to go see your doctor for a sprained ankle you don't have to go see them if you're having incontinence issues you know I think that's kind of a big job to take on um but I think it's something really important we need to do. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and that's one of the things I do love about this profession and the direction that we're going is where, you know, I have patients who say, you know, maybe they complete a course of care with me and I've set them up with a program and they kind of say like, okay, so in six months, can I just come back in for a checkup? Like, can, you know, we reassess, talk through exercises that might be appropriate. So we're kind of filling this really cool role of like semi-primary care provider a little bit of personal trainer, like a little bit of this and that and everything. Um, and, and I knew, I love that. And, you know, I have a patient who I'm thinking about now and I've seen her, I saw her when she first got married because she had too much pain with sex to have sex. So we fixed that. Then she got pregnant. So I saw her during her pregnancy. Then I saw her postpartum to address stuff that happened during a pregnancy. And now she's pregnant again. <laughs> like, so we just keep doing like episodes of care throughout her life. And it's been just a really cool way to, to be there for people um, kind of throughout, you know, different seasons of their life. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that, like, most people kind of equate pelvic PT with biofeedback. Are there other misconceptions that you kind of see coming from either patients oh. or physicians or even other PTs? Um, other PTs um, think that, you know, pelvic PT is 100% like behind closed doors up in each other's business like (laughs) um, (laughs) gloves and lubricant for an hour that um tends to be um misconception the other misconception i hear all the time is like pelvic pt is just for pregnant people and that goes for both pts and for the general population um or pregnant people or people who have just had a baby um where i kind of take a stance of like any decent pt should be able to tackle a pregnant woman with like low back secretly a joint pain like that shouldn't all fall to me I'm happy to do it but um every ortho PT like she's not an alien she's just pregnant um so um so I think that's probably a really common misconception is that we're just here for pregnant people um but then I'm trying to think like then the yeah the other one would be that it's just all like we're just in a room for an hour at a time um whereas you know, there's so much functional training that so many people with pelvic floor problems need that, you know, virtually all of my patients with pelvic floor problems are out potentially doing walking lunges or T-band side steps or rows or lots of other exercises that, you know, quote unquote, normal patients, um, not pelvic health patients are also doing. Um, so I generally tell people like, it's not as gross as average PT thinks it is (laughs) so it looks a lot more like what we think of as PT Mm -hmm. than you might think yeah I'm trying to think of any other like big misconceptions um Mm -hmm. and then I think the other one would be just that it like from patients primarily 
um, is that like they have no idea that PT could be used and they wouldn't need medications or surgery um, for something like a bladder prolapse or overactive bladder or some all the different things. Um, we have some decent research that shows that, you know, if you've got a mild to moderate prolapse, PT can completely improve it. Um, whereas patients are just like, I'm just going to have surgery, like, because that's the only thing there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same thing with like overactive bladder. Um, you know, the, the doctors offer the medications and the medications can be great. Um, but then when I'm like, well, we can do PT and you probably won't need that medication anymore. That's the whole goal, if you ask me. Um, and they're like, wait, I could be off this. I just thought I was going to take this till I die. (laughs) So I think that would be the other one. So what do you think helps the most with patient buy-in, especially with, um, pelvic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I say at every stinking email, um, if I don't find anything wrong with you for me to fix, I will tell you. Um, and I tend to be a pretty, um, upfront, pretty kind of casual, kind of relaxed presence, um, where I speak kind of no nonsense, not aggressive, but, um, I'm just kind of telling my patients, if there's nothing wrong with you, I'm going to tell you, I'm not here to lie to you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm plenty busy. Like I don't need to sell you snake oil. Um, so I tell them, you know, if I don't find something that I as a PT can address, I will tell you that. Um, and then I'll also tell you, like, if PT is not the right place for you, I will help you find the next step. Because um, I think that's something that I see a lot where patients kind of get sent to me and like the doctor's like, okay, we're done. Like, mm-hmm. um, so patients end up coming to see me feeling a little bit out on their own. Whereas I say, you know, if you come to see me and I'm not able to fix you, I'm not the right place for you now, I'll help you, guide you at least, and suggest other places for you to go. Um, And then I generally say, you're going to see something change in two to three weeks of care. If you come in and you see me and you're doing your stuff at home, three weeks, I want you to be saying like, hmm, something's going on here. I have a little bit more time until I have to get to the bathroom or... Um, bowel movements are a little easier. Um, something that you can, that will tell you like, Hey, I'm seeing something moving in the right direction. And I tell patients all the time, if you don't see something changing in three weeks, like, I mean, nothing changing. Um, I want you to tell me because I'm a human being and maybe I missed something. Mm -hmm. Um, so we will do, let's, we'll just recheck everything. I'll try to, you know, put my thinking cap on and figure out, you know, what I might've missed. And if I find something that I'm like, Oh, ding dong like you didn't check lumbar mobility and they've got a herniated disc or you know something that's pretty drastic but (laughs) (laughs) but um you know if I just completely miss something and we'll address it but if then I see you for another week or two and still nothing that means I've really missed something and I need to find you somebody else um Mm -hmm. whether that be a PT or somebody else so I kind of make them a promise like I am here to help you but if I can't help you, like, I will be honest with you. I'm not going to sit there and just keep you coming pointlessly. And I think that has really helped. Um, the other thing, but somebody who has, like, pain with penetrative activities, um, I generally say, because everyone wants to know, like, is this going to fix me? Like, am I going to be able to have sex again? Um, everyone <laughs> wants to know that. Um, and luckily, for the, like, I don't even, I haven't looked at the numbers, Um but I generally tell my patients like that seems to be my gift. Like that seems to be a diagnosis that I am just truly on this earth to help people with. Um, so I tell people like, if you 
come in and you do the things like my success rate is like above 90, 95% of success being pain-free penetration. Like, I'm not going to say it's going to happen in two weeks, but, um, Mm -hmm. and so like people, a lot of people just need hope. Um, and so, um, that really tends to get a lot of fi in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very stubborn. And so I'll tell patients, like, I'm more stubborn than your pelvic floor. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get you there. <laughs> Do you find, um, maybe patients are hesitant coming into pelvic PT with, I mean, kind of like the pelvic floor can be kind of a taboo subject in this world, yeah. even though it really shouldn't be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, but I find it all the time. And I, I think it's really important that we kind of meet people wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got some patients, I had one patient, for instance, who like her parents, like she was from, um, I can't say where she was from. She was Latina. Um, and her parents, like she still would live with her parents and she kind of like, they lived close to the clinic. Um, and she said, can I kind of, are you guys okay if I park in the employee parking lot and kind of hide between cars? Because if my parents see my car, they're going to ask why I'm here, and they can't. I can't have that. Um, so, and but I mean, and that happens like stuff like that happens all the time. Where patients, a lot of patients, have to kind of like vet me. They call me ahead of time to say like, what exactly is going to happen here? And I really love it when they do that, so that I can explain. Um, lots of patients are very hesitant to come in. Period. Um, but I think, and wh- one of the things I've heard is because I do primarily treat in this large outpatient ortho clinic. Um, and I kind of reassure patients that anything that needs to be private, we are going to be in a private room for, and I'm never going to embarrass you. Like, that's not what we're here for. Um, but I've heard from a lot of patients that being in a typical outpatient ortho environment has really helped destigmatize it for them because they've said like, it's just a muscle dysfunction, just like this person with their shoulder problem, this person over here with their knee problem, like, why is this any more shameful? Um, and so some of my patients have really talked about like how kind of healing that has been to understand that they don't have to go to some fancy schmancy PT all tucked away in private mm-hmm. um, to get treatment for this. And that's kind of my goal is that to really decrease that, that kind of shame and stigma um, that's associated with this. But it can be a challenge sometimes to kind of get over that. I don't want to say get over that, but help <laughs> patients understand that like, it's just muscles, just right. like everything else we as PTs treat. Uh, <laughs> they're just sometimes a little harder for us to access. Yes. <laughs> now, do you think um, maybe this, I know you mentioned with one of your patients, like there's a lot of psychosocial aspects to deal with. Is that something you kind of help with? Is that something you refer out for? Yes to both. Um, <laughs> I will say, I think, you know, I remember being an undergrad and I was at the time, like one of two pre-PT students who chose the psych degree as their bachelor's and everyone else was doing biology or athletic training. And I remember all my friends like, why are you choosing psych? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like you're not working with people. Like I want to know how to motivate them and how to, you know, be empathetic and whatever. Um, so I will say having my psychology bachelor's, like I can look back now, I'm like, mm, that was a good call. Like that was a <laughs> solid choice there. Um, but I do think, you know, we have to stay in our scope of practice. Um, I'm like, APTA will want me to say that. Um, <laughs> so, right. and I, and I a hundred percent believe we have to, um, 
to do that. But I also know that so many of my patients, as much as they have a stigma about coming to see a pelvic PT, like their stigma about going to see a mental health professional is like nine times higher often. Um, so I stay in my lane and I give lots of education. Um, I've had lots of patients who have just said to me, just being able to talk to about my symptoms to somebody has been super helpful because so many times, you know, they haven't told their friends, they haven't told anybody. I've seen people who haven't told their partner that they're having whatever problems. Um, and so a lot of my patients have just said, just being able to share with somebody has been a huge, you know, help in the healing. Um, but I also think then too, I talk, I'm a pain neuroscience junkie. Like <laughs> the first course I ever went to after grad school, well, was pelvic floor one. Um, but then it was like the Adrian Lowe, David Butler, Lorman Mosley explain pain stuff. And I remember like sitting in this course, like, why did I not know this yet? Um, and so with that, like I talk a lot about the nervous system with my patients. Um, and as I kind of, so I, for some of those patients who are really hesitant to see somebody in the mental health profession, and I'm always in the back of my mind, like they need a counselor, they need a counselor, they need a counselor. <laughs> um, but as I see them and I talk to them about their nervous system, I'm able to kind of steer that back after a couple of visits to potentially say, you know, hey, like I can here to help with X, Y, and Z. When it comes to giving you strategies to handle an anxiety attack, I've never went to any classes for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'd really like it. It would be really helpful to me. Like, please do me a favor and go see somebody who has that skill set to give you because I don't. Um, and when I can frame it like that for those patients um, and say, you know, I, I just, I don't have the training. I to, to teach you how to do that better. Um, so if like if you would, if you would do it for me, like help me help you. <laughs> um, and I think that's really helped get some people to a therapist who otherwise wouldn't go. Um, the other thing, and I'm going to roll kind of right into the question you were going to ask me before about challenges I see, um, mm -hmm. because this is the perfect segue for that. Um, I think as PTs, like we, I mean, every PT, like we hear, we, we have to be good listeners to patients. We have to, I tell them like, well, I'm kind of my job is to kind of be there alongside you as we're going through this journey together. Um, but I really think if we try to take on too much of that roles for our patients, you know, I have to remember like my job is to kind of help coach them and guide them and give them skills, you know, within the physical therapy realm. But if I'm also trying to fix their relationship with their partner and stress at work and you know listening to them talking about their kids going through COVID like that's too much for me to hold um mm -hmm. and like that's the recipe for burnout <laughs> so I think that can be one of the challenges as especially a pelvic PT is that we hear a lot of really icky stuff um and that's just the nature of this um you know every patient I have to ask about sexual trauma um, and you know, history in that area. So, and I, I remember this moment when me and another pelvic PT were sitting in her clinic director's office talking about a patient she was struggling with and he was there, we were HIPAA compliant, not using names, but as she was talking to me about this patient's story, this orthopedic clinic director looked up and he's like, how are you not all alcoholics? Like the stuff that you guys hear and just have to not rage about like, um, he's like, how does that happen? And I think that is the challenge is making sure that we as PTs are staying in a good place from a mental health perspective 
um, can be super challenging and something that I'm really trying to now as I'm in a, a generation of pelvic PTs, as I'm kind of coaching younger therapists, I'm like, get that like in your head now so that you're not burning out in three years because you're trying to fix all the things Mm -hmm. um, that can be super, super challenging. Yeah. And I feel like we probably play a big role in breaking down that mental health stigma too, especially um, like any patient you see in any realm of PT, they're going to come with issues. And I feel like it's really important for us to like, help them recognize that and refer them to the people who can help them yes exactly especially when they're spending hours every week with us and we're developing that therapeutic alliance with them right like i don't know any any patient ever who would tell you that they felt closer to their orthopedic doctor than they do their pt like that just doesn't happen right and so as we build that trust and that therapeutic alliance you know they're going to respect what we say you know if an orthopedic surgeon says yeah you need to go see a psychologist like patients are like, like, what do they know? Um, but when it's, I'm here with you and I've been seeing you for weeks now and we are like, quote unquote, in the trenches and like going through all the stuff. And I'm like, dude, like, and I tell my patients, like, I'm, I'm out. Like, I can't do any more for you in that realm. Like I've given you all I've learned from podcasts and everything like that. But, (laughs) um, and like when I talk to patients and I've developed that trust with them, they're like, well, if she's known me, and she spent that time with me and developed that relationship. And she thinks I need a therapist. Maybe I actually need a therapist. <laughs> so I think that's, yeah, a huge, a huge role for us to play. Right. So I'm going to have one more question for you. Um, so since this podcast is kind of directed at students, um, I kind of wanted to rework the question we've kind of been asking other people. Um what would you say to students who are interested in specialty certifications? Because I know a lot of us in my class, I know at least, like, we're interested. Like, we're thinking about specializing maybe right out of school, whether it's residency, kind of going out on our own. Um, what would you, what advice would you have? Any suggestions? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, I'm a huge proponent of developing a specialty um skill set because you want to be marketable you want to build value for yourself um and so (laughs) my recruiting team would love it if i say choose a company that will support you in that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i mean truly like find a find a situation where you can develop your skills and if that means you know you want to do a residency and find a residency program go do that um if it means that you need to find a job that you can work hours such that you can dedicate time to studying and doing like a self-study program to a a specialty. Um, I think that's really beneficial. Um, So now I'm somebody who I'm trying to think like, how long was I a PT before I got my specialty certificate? It was a while (laughs) Um, because I just was like, I don't think it's that big a deal. Like, meh, like I'll get it eventually. so I'm trying to think, it was, it was more than five or six years. Um, so, and the other challenge for me is that because I kind of went through a very traditional, like went to college right after high school and then grad school and then um, started my job right afterwards when I was sitting for my specialty boards, I'm trying to think if I was pregnant or was between kids or something, like it was bananas in retrospect. 
Um, again, don't get married in grad school. Don't recommend that. And also don't have a baby while you're trying to prepare for your divorce to specialize. Um, like it can be done. I am living proof, but, um, my stress levels probably would have been better had I timed things a little differently. Um, so I think that there is something to be said for kind of getting into your specialty right away. But also I really would encourage people don't feel like you need to take every course before you treat your first patient, especially with pelvic health. Um, like I think there are, I see clinicians all the time. So I, I work as a, not work, um, I volunteer as a teaching assistant, um, and for pelvic health CEU courses. And I see so many people who are like, I have to go to like these, these three courses before I see patients. Um, and I really say, no, like you need some pelvic health knowledge. Yes, please don't go with <laughs> basic DPT education and think you can fix somebody who has pain with penetration. Um, but um, there's a lot to be said for, you know, going ahead and diving in and saying like, okay, I'm going to go to my first course and I'm going to start taking patients. And my, again, like same as me, like that first patient that I ever saw, like I was wildly underqualified, <laughs> um, but I made sure the patient knew that, um, did not misrepresent myself. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, if I didn't see her, she was not going to get care. Right. And so I was no slacker. I went and tried to, you know, dig into all the resources I could find, um, and to, to treat her as best as I could. And I think that's the message there is that, you know, don't be afraid to get started and then use this lovely world of resources that we have. So, you know, we have Facebook groups now that, you know, are a thing that you can post a question like, Hey, I'm a newbie pelvic health PT. And here's my cluster of a patient. Somebody help me. And truly the rock stars of the profession are going to comment on that and say, check this, this, and this to get you started. Um, so I would say just, you know, go ahead and start seeing patients, start pursuing that specialty. Um, don't feel like you need to be, you know, certified in anything before you start seeing patients. Um, because certainly, you know, passing my certification didn't make me a better therapist. Um, studying for my certification made me better therapist. Um, so yeah. Um, and I, I think the cool thing about our profession too, is that, you know, if I said, I'm not doing pelvic health anymore today, like, I'm not going to do that. But if I did, um, the cool thing about our profession is like, okay, well then what do I like, do I want to go do neuro again? Like, you know, um, do I want to go and work for, you know, Broadway and see the performers, um, you know, in between their shows, that kind of thing. I think our profession is so diverse is that, um, my, one of the things my mom told me way back when is just because it's your first job doesn't mean it's your last job. So, you know, don't be afraid to pursue something. And I'm all like swing for the fences. I am all in if I'm pursuing something. Um, but if that it ends up not being a good fit for you at some point, like our profession is so cool and that there's so many different things that we can pursue. So then go get another specialty certification if you want to. Um, you can, you're, you're going to evolve one way or another throughout your clinical career. Um, so, you know, make yourself a really great, well-rounded therapist while you're at it. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And it was a pleasure to have you. Me. Yeah, of course. Likewise. Absolutely. <laughs> Anytime you want to nerd out about public health, I'm here for that. So. <laughs>